We're reading from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, to chapter 3, verse 10. It's on page 863 in the Red Pew Bibles. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love of the Father, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might not be that he might be taken away, might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Let's just bear in prayer. Father, we do thank you for uh, your word, and we know that your word is uh, living and active, and it has the power by your spirit to penetrate our our hearts and our souls. Father, we pray that it would do that very work today, uh, both here and as the children are taught your word. Father, we pray that we would take your word seriously, that we would not be like uh, people who just come to be entertained, but rather people who come to be changed. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you have been asking about my mother, how she's going. Um, Mum was uh, uh, let out of hospital on Wednesday and she's living at home now. That was nine weeks in hospital. And uh, she's not at church today. I'm not sure when she'll be able to be coming to church. Hopefully next Sunday, that would be great. But um, it's good having Mum in church since she became a Christian. And uh, people sometimes say to me that they think that uh, they can see the resemblance between myself and my mother. I don't know if you can see that or not, but that's something which people say to me. And, you know, you kind of expect that that's the case, don't you? Because, you know, within families, there ought to be 
a physical resemblance. I remember uh, uh, having insulted my daughter by forgetting her birthday earlier on. Um, I remember when Alyssa was uh, a baby and I showed her a photograph of myself when I was a little boy and I said, who do you think that little boy is? And straight away she said very confidently, that's Andrew. <laughs> that's Andrew. And I was pretty chuffed by that because I thought, well, like father, like son, uh, you'd expect that to be the case. And, you know, it's why maternity wards are full of, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, relatives that are poking at little children, little babies, you know, trying to figure out whose eyes she's got or whose nose he's got or whose ears, you know, who this little baby looks like. I don't think you can really tell when they're first born because they've all got shriveled up prune-like faces but so, and they change pretty quickly over the next few weeks. But it's true of our physical families that there ought to be a, a, a discernible resemblance. It's also true of our spiritual family that uh, the, uh, this in the, within the spiritual family that there ought to be trademark resemblances. In families, physical families, there's trademark resemblances. You know, everyone might be six foot tall or have red hair or whatever. But in God's family, there is also to be a likeness. Now, what is that likeness to be? What, what does that likeness look like in the spiritual family of God's people? Uh, it's a likeness which flows from the father uh, through to his children. And that's one of the issues that comes up in today's passage that we're looking at in 1 John chapter 3 or starting at chapter 2 verse 28. If you'd like to have that open in front of you. And uh, by the way, I'm not sure if you use the outline to take notes, but uh, can I encourage you to to use these sermon outlines uh, for note-taking. It's good to come to church with a pen uh, to be able to jot down uh, what's said. That sometimes helps you to focus and concentrate and remember afterwards what's been said in the talks. If that doesn't work for you, that's fine, but I uh, just want to occasionally encourage you to think about uh, doing that with the sermon outlines. Um, let me just recap on some of the background to 1 John. Um, we've seen over the last couple of sermons on uh, 1 John that when John wrote this letter, he did so in the context of a warning to the Christians about people who were within the churches or who by that stage had left the churches, but people who were trying to lead them astray, uh, to lead them away from the very firm foundation, the anchor that we have in the completed work of Christ on the cross. And one of the, the over, overarching uh, issue that was driving some of the false teaching was a wrong view about, uh, about life which separates the spiritual life from our physical life. And it's a, it's a view which uh, separates... Uh, separated um, uh, even the person of Jesus because we saw last week that uh, some of the false teachers were saying that uh, that because the, the spiritual life is good and the physical life is bad, that the Christ could never have come 
fully as a man or as a man, but he only seemed to be like a man uh, because they, they said that the important thing is the spiritual life and not the physical life. Now, the other aspect of that false teaching was that it meant that some of the false teachers ended up saying that uh, how you live your physical life and what you do with your body doesn't really matter so much so long as you're in tune spiritually. Now, uh, that sounds like bizarre teaching to us and it was bizarre teaching uh, back in the first century as well. But I, I just want to pause here and say that there is an issue that we need to consider and that is can we... Uh, separate out too much in our lives the spiritual from uh, the physical? Uh, can we be people who compartmentalise our lives into the, into the spiritual and the non-spiritual? So, you know, it's quite possible to fall into the trap of being involved in spiritual activities, like the activity that we're engaged in right now, being in church, uh, listening to the word of God and fellowshipping with one another, uh, to, to be involved in spiritual activities, but being lazy in terms of uh, how we live our lives, being lazy in terms of growing in godliness, as if we don't think that how we live is actually uh, spiritual. Uh, in today's passage, John gives us two very big reasons why we ought not to do that. And he roots it in this issue of being made, making sure that we are people who in our lives, in our character, bear the family likeness, bear the resemblances that you would expect to find in the family of God's people. So there's two big reasons that he gives. And the first reason is found in uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 28, uh, down to chapter 3, verse 3. But let me just re read a couple of those verses for you. Verse 28, <clears throat> he says, in verse 28, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Uh, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So what is he saying there? He's saying continue in Jesus. Continue in him. The old version says abide in him. A and grow in your obedience to God. Now, why does John want us to continue in him? Continue in Jesus. Well, the reason he gives there is he does not want us to be ashamed when Jesus returns. And Jesus is returning, by the way. Do you see the word coming there, where he says when, when he comes? Uh, the word coming there that, uh, that, that uh, John uses uh, has the meaning of the coming of royalty. Don't be ashamed when King Jesus comes. Now, uh, if you were to be visited by royalty, how would you prepare for that? Let's say Queen Elizabeth was dropping by at your place for a cup of tea. What do you think you'd do in advance? 
Well, some of you staunch Republicans are uh, saying <laughs> I wouldn't do, be doing terribly much. But, you know, I've told the story about when Cassie and I were doing Christian ministry down in the Housing Commission at Redfern when uh, Queen Elizabeth did turn up, you know, and she went to the little old lady's Housing Commission unit for a cup of tea. And, you know, and the government came in the day before and cleared out all of her possessions and <laughs> Grace Brothers' truck arrived and replaced it all with brand new stuff, you know. Came back the next day and took it all away. But, um, but you know, you, if, if royalty is, you want to be prepared, don't you? And one day you will meet King Jesus uh, because he's coming. It might be on the day of his coming that you meet him first. It might be on the day of your death that you meet him first. But either way, we all meet King Jesus. And when that happens, how will he find us? I mean, not how will he locate us, but what will we be like when Jesus returns? Will we look like we belong to the family? What if on that day, Jesus should find that although I claim to be Christian, that although I go to church regularly every Sunday, twice in my case, uh, that although I'm an elder in the church, what if he should find that although I have all of these physical uh, um, things, that by my character I don't actually look like I belong to the family of God's people? That would be shameful, wouldn't it? And it would be devastating as well. So don't be like that. But John doesn't want us to be fearful of meeting Jesus, far from it, because if we are truly members of his family, then for us the second coming of Jesus will be a great day. And we see that in verse 2, don't we, where he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be, what does it say? Like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. You know, in our present mortal life, we will never be perfectly godly. But when Jesus returns, God will complete the work that he's begun in us. And we don't take our sin to heaven. That's good news, isn't it? Because guess what? It wouldn't be heaven if there was sin there. Uh, we, we don't take our sin to heaven. That's why it is heaven. And God will change us so that we will be like Jesus. We will be perfectly like Jesus. We will be pure like Jesus. And in verse 3, John says that that is our hope. Now, when the Bible talks about hope, I think, I think we normally use hope in a little bit of a different way. Uh, it's, it's not like, you know, I might say that I really hope that the Blues win the State of Origin next year. Or I hope that the Aussies will bring, you know, will, will, will win the Ashes. I mean, the chances of that happening, <laughs> that's, you know, that's a hope, but there's very little certainty of that happening. But when the Bible talks about hope, it talks about uh, a, a sure and a certain hope. Uh, it's saying that God has made a promise about the future. And when God makes a promise, then guess what? 
There is no uncertainty. There is no doubt. That promise will be fulfilled. And so the hope that we have is a sure and a certain hope. And so therefore you can stake your life on it. So we should be looking forward to that day because, uh, because God, when Jesus will returns, will make us to be like Jesus. And so therefore, if that's our future, how should that affect the way that we live now? Well, we should be purifying ourselves now. We should be working towards that. We should be changing. We should be becoming more like Jesus now. Um, usually when people talk about the two comings of Jesus, we, we talk about the first coming of Jesus and then we talk about the second coming of Jesus, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? But John here gets it the other way around because having reminded us firstly of the second coming of Jesus as, for the, as, as the reason why we ought to be bearing the family likeness, he then goes back to the first coming of Jesus. Because this is the other big reason why we should be people who bear the family likeness. Have a look at verses 4 and 5. Verse 4, he says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Now, if anyone says that they believe in Jesus, but um, they don't think that sin is particularly serious, then John would say, well, why do you think that Jesus came? Uh, he appeared so that he might take away sins. Now, that sounds obvious to us, doesn't it? It sounds like, you know, why do you even have to mention that? Well, we do have to mention this because there are preachers, even these days, who don't teach that sin is serious. Um, <clears throat> listen to what one very well-known preacher uh, said about sin and tell me what you think's wrong with it. <laughs> he said, and I quote, Reformation theology failed to make clear that the core of sin is a lack of self-esteem. The most serious sin is the one that causes me to say, I am an unworthy sinner. Now, what, what's he, he? He believes in sin, doesn't he? But he's redefined sin. So that sin is no longer a rebellious, hard attitude towards God, which says that I want to run my life my way, and I'll do so, thank you very much. Rather, uh, the core of sin is that I just feel too bad about myself and I need to be lifted up, I need to be boosted up so that Jesus has come to, to make me feel good about myself. And it's a very popular teaching and it's, it's giving people what their itching ears want to hear. And so it redefines sin so that there's therefore no need for repentance Therefore, you can keep your sin and you can feel spiritual at the same time. How about that? But in verse 5, Jesus came to take away our sin. So if you ever wonder how serious God considers sin, 
Well, all you've got to do is look at the cross of Jesus, don't you? How serious is sin? Well, sin is so serious that in verse 5, that John says that although Jesus had no sin, that God sent him so that he was treated as a sinner. That as Paul says, that he, he, he who knew no sin became sin so that we through him might become the righteousness of God. God allowed the Romans to nail Jesus to a cross. And on that cross, all of the, uh, the anger of God uh, directed towards our sin was, was poured out on Jesus instead, uh, God's own son. That's how serious sin is. God paid the heaviest price it was possible to pay because of your sin and my sin, which means that we can be forgiven, which means that we can now enter, change our status so that we uh, are adopted into the family of God's people, so that uh, God is now our heavenly Father, so that we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we are now part of this new uh, worldwide, down through the ages, spiritual family. And therefore, we ought to start bearing the family likeness. And that's got to do with character. But check out how excited John is about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Check out what he says in verse 1 where he, he just says, How great! How awesome! How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be now be called And that is what we are, children of God. So if we are members of God's family, um, what therefore is the place of sin in our lives? Um, does it mean that we should that Christians should never sin? Well, John actually makes some interesting statements about that. Take a look at verse six, where he says, "No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him." Or go down to verse nine. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because, well, he's been born of God. Now, what does that mean? I mean, if you look at that, uh, you know, on the surface, he's saying that if you're a Christian, you cannot sin, right? And, and there are groups uh, within Christianity who have believed that and who've taught that, they've taught that it is possible for Christians to become, to become so holy that you reach a point in your Christian life uh, before the return of Jesus when you no longer sin. Have you reached that point as yet? You, know, you can put up, you can tell us a lie now. And, you know. no, of course not. Uh, that doctrine is called sinless perfectionism. I've yet to meet anyone who actually claims to believe that they've perfected themselves and they no longer sing. I'd, I'd be interested to meet them. 
and put a bit of temptation in their way and see how they... No, I wouldn't do that, but... Um, well, I might. But, uh, you know, you can see where they get it from, can't you? It's from, you know, verses like these verses here. But that, that is to... One, you know, one of the problems with interpreting the Bible is if you take a text out of context, then, uh, well, as I say, that becomes a proof text for a pretext. Or uh, uh, if, you take the, if you take the text out of context, what are you left with? You're left with a, a con, okay? So there's a couple of handy ways of thinking about it. But um, in the context here, uh, well, you'd have to say that uh, that interpretation would would violate the Bible as a whole because it doesn't fit with what the rest of the Bible says about the uh, the life that we live now, where we're living in the the last days, we're living in the the tension between the two ages, uh, we're living as God's people but still in a fallen world, and it doesn't even fit with what the rest of one John says because in chapter one verse eight. John says that if we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The reality is that we will continue to sin right up until the Lord Jesus returns, right up until or when, or when we die. We will continue to sin throughout this life. But John is not saying that it's impossible for Christians to sin uh, and if, indeed, if he were saying that, we'd all be in very big trouble. But what he is saying is this. He's saying that it's, it's incongruous. It's saying that it doesn't make sense for a Christian person, someone who's now been born into the family of God, it doesn't make sense for that person to, to continue uh, to live as if sin, sin doesn't matter. Uh, to continue to, uh, to allow sin to be the ruling principle in their lives because Christ has set us free from that. And so we will sin, um, sometimes very willingly sin. But the thing which marks us out as being members of the family of God is that we'll be struggling against our sin. We will... We will despise the sin that's within us. We will be wanting to fill our minds with the knowledge of God uh, and, and his character so that we can be people who will be working at changing our lives. Because our goal is to be bearing the family likeness. So, I mean, just to pick one example, I've got a friend, a Christian friend, who has a real battle with anger. I mean, we all get angry from time to time, but, you know, this is a particular issue for him because of his background and the life that he lived before becoming a Christian and so on, and he battles with anger. He's a, and that's really hard, for, particularly for people who are in his family. <laughs> that's a real difficulty. So, is he a Christian? Well... And does that make him not a Christian? I don't think it makes him not a Christian. In fact, I'm certain it doesn't make him not a Christian because mostly when he gets angry, he feels pretty lousy about it. He feels sickened afterwards by uh, his attitude and how he's spoken and how he's treated people and he admits his sin. 
and he, and he wants to change. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, as he soaks himself in the word of God and with supportive people around him, he is changing. He's dealing with it in order to become more godly. That's him. What, what about you? Uh, what's the area in your life that is not bearing the family likeness? Is it anger? Uh, is it greed? Is it jealousy? Is it lust? What's the, ang- what's the issue for you? Because that's what we should be like. We should be people who are seeking to change. Um, we must never think, though, that because we do not yet have victory over a particular area of sin in our lives, that that means that we're not Christians. Uh, who would love you to think that? Satan would. Satan would love you to think that. But as God's children, we must be people who understand that we are forgiven through the work of Christ on the cross, but that we must be committed to personal change and therefore to establish goals for our godliness. Um, Identifying areas in our lives where we're not living in conformity to the word of God. And in order to do that, of course, you've got to know the Word of God. The best way to work out what's wrong with your life is to allow the the Word of God, which is living and active, to actually um, uh, rebuke uh, and to to correct and to challenge you uh, in that particular area of your life. And prayerfully, um, deliberately avoiding situations where you know that you will be tempted and working hard to apply God's word in that area. So that over time, we will start to be more like our Heavenly Father in that area. It's slow work sometimes, isn't it? Um, Do you sometimes get frustrated with yourself that you don't seem to be changing fast enough? And you wonder where it's, you know, why am I still battling with this area of my life? You ever think about that? Yeah, I'm sure that many of you do. Uh, It's good to sometimes actually track back to 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago and see where you were then. And sometimes you can see, hey, there actually has been some growth and some change here. And it's an encouragement to keep on uh, working at that. Um, Now, do you remember last week we looked at, in Chapter 2, we saw that there were three tests of the genuine Christian, the genuine child of God. There were three tests. Uh, Do you remember what they were? You can cheat by looking at your um, outlines if you like. Uh, the first one, the first test of the genuine Christian is obedience to the command to obey the gospel. That's the first test. The second test is, is that the genuine Christian will love fellow Christians. And the third test is a love for God's truth. So obedience, love and truth, the three tests of the genuine Christian. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that's the exact opposite to the devil. Um, because the devil, well, he does not obey the gospel. The devil, he does not love Christians. And the devil, well, far from loving truth, he's described as being the father of all lies. And you know what? The devil has got his family as well. How do you think you can tell who's part of the devil's family? Well, by the family likeness. How do you pick them? That's tricky sometimes, isn't it? Because sometimes there'll be people who are actually children of the devil who are actually sitting in church. 
could even be leading church. How can you tell? Well, again, it's the family likeness. That's what uh, John says in verse 10. In verse 10, they look like their father. So they don't obey the gospel. They don't show genuine love for Christians. And they don't particularly care about the truth of God's word. Okay, then, so whose child are you? That's the bottom line, isn't it? It's worth thinking about, uh, about this issue. It's worth thinking about whether or not uh, people who get to know you would be able to see the character of God in your life. Uh, if a person didn't know that you went to church and didn't know anything about that area of your life, but they knew you personally, would they... Would they be surprised to hear that you're a Christian? <laughs> or would they say, oh, no, that makes sense. I could see that there was something different about that person. Right? Um, whose child are you? Are you opposed to sin in your life? Uh, are you making real attempts to change? Uh, and that's important because sometimes we can start off in the Christian life with our hearts very much on fire for Jesus uh, we, we know our sin only too well and we're incredibly grateful for the forgiveness that we have received and we've got a passion to be more and more like Jesus. But over the years, we can become lazy and we can become accepting of sin in our lives and we can stop growing in the likeness of Christ. Well, let's not be like that uh, because he's coming again and we don't want to be ashamed and he's already come the first time and he dealt with sin by dying on the cross. That's how valuable, that's how important sin is to God. So let's be people who bear the family likeness. Shall we pray? Okay. Father, we do want to thank you that uh, you have, uh, through the death of your own son, made it feasible, made it possible for us to become your children. We thank you, Father God, that that's on the basis of the forgiveness of sin. And we thank you, Father God, that one day when Jesus returns, that we will be made to be perfectly like him. Father, as we live our life now, we want to pray that you would convict us of sin in our lives, that you would, by your word, not just rebuke us, but that you would also correct us and that you would train us in righteousness. Father, we pray for uh, those areas in our lives where we've become tolerant of stuff that we know is abhorrent to you. And we pray that um, as a result of being here today, uh, that we would have a rethink of that. Father, give us the strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to make changes in our lives that we would uh, bear the fruit of the Spirit and that we would be therefore people who uh, bear your likeness, your character, give honour and glory to you by the way that we live and are known to others as being different because of that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.